0: Hi. Yeah. So we're really excited to be working together with Aaron and Dada, and um, yeah, what a privilege to just be a part of God's big story. Yeah. And and actually, that's kind of what I want to um, share about today. Is um, I don't I I don't really want to, you know, uh, mainly I don't want to talk as a missionary coming from a far off land and telling you stories of. You know, Ukraine, it's very far, you know. But I, I really just want to talk to you guys as someone who desperately needs every aspect of my life to be infused with the gospel message. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's um, always room for exhortation and, you know, we, we want to know what, what we need to do as as Christians, but I think, um, and this is kind of what's at the heart of room for more is that the more we know and understand wh- who we are, the how we then live just kind of flows out of that. It's it's really um, it's all about un- understanding that story that that big story that we're a part of. Um, yeah, I, I just I just feel like every and and so it it, it changes. I think our perspective when we realize that the gospel is not just something that we talk about here on Sunday morning, and it's not just something that missionaries or evangelists take and you know share in a certain context. It's something that something that we need as as husbands and wives, and something I need as a dad, and wherever we're working. And just interacting with humans on a daily basis, um, we need a deeper and deeper understanding of the good news of Jesus. And I, I, I'm just more—the more people that I interact with, and the more I'm, I'm a pastor, the more I realize this is very much the case. Is um, is the gospel is not just what people need as the entry point. It's not just something you receive when you believe and then. We kind of move on. It's not the A, as somebody said, it's not the ABCs. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. And, and so we're going we're to kind of unpack that this morning. And in there, I'll probably share a little bit more about um, what we're doing in Ukraine. But um, yeah, so here, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, if you guys want to open the gospel of Mark, um, we'll start chapter one, verse one. In our church in Chernobyl, um, we're going through this series um, that we're calling so 66 books and one story. So we're going through the whole Bible, but we're doing it um, like a bird's eye view, um, so from like 20,000 feet, right? So a lot of Sundays, we'll just take one book, and we'll kind of talk about how this book contributes to this overarching Epic story that the Bible's telling. And so we that's actually gonna how we're gonna unpack the gospel today. We're gonna go through the gospel of Mark. So for the first hour, we're just gonna read all the way through Mark. And I'm just checking if you're paying attention. Because we are gonna do that. No, okay. No, we're not. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So um yeah. But um, yeah, we're going to look at how Mark presents what the gospel is, and we'll kind of look at that in three kind of three steps. Okay, we're going to look at a, this this claim that Mark makes, and it's a radical claim. Okay, and then he's going to present evidence for this claim, and then we're going to look finally at the conclusion. It's actually not as much the conclusion that Mark draws, but really the conclusion he wants you to make. He wants you to take this information and draw your own conclusions. It's very, it's, it's, it's actually unique, the way Mark unpacks what this good news is. Okay, so you guys ready? Okay, so Mark chapter one, verse one. Mark doesn't waste any time because the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. So there it is. It's verse one. The beginning of the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. Now, okay, if you've been around, if, if you are a follower of Jesus or if you've been around the church for a long time, this is a very familiar word, gospel, right? We use it a lot. And um, there are certain ideas that we have attached to what the gospel is, um, and I, they're not bad, but I think we immediately, when we see the word, it triggers like certain ideas. That, we, For example, I think, we, um, and this is something that has actually become uh, more the way we describe the gospel, it, really in the last 200 years, is that it has something to do with inviting Jesus into your heart. That's a great concept. Okay, great. Mark's not going to talk about that at all. Um, or it's about, um, you know, uh, going to heaven when you die or something like that. Also, I'm not saying these are, (laughs) these are fat. I'm just saying these are not things Mark is, he doesn't mention these things at all. Okay. So it's really refreshing to, to, to start here and then think, okay, so what is it that, how is Mark, what does he mean? when he's going to use the word gospel and how does he unpack what is this good news, which is what we're going to find the word means literally, right? Um, so, yeah. So what is the emphasis? This is the gospel of Jesus, Mark says. And what does he do? What's the next thing that Mark does? What's verse two? Well, he's going to quote from the Old Testament. That's, that's the first thing he does in trying to describe to you what the gospel is behold I send my messenger before your face Isaiah says right who will prepare your way the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight okay so so this is this is this interesting right where so Mark says here's the good news it's like Isaiah said, right? And there's a, there's this uh, really interesting thing that Mark does here, right? Where um, he, he he's, so what is he talking about? He's talking about Yahweh, right? Showing up. He says, prepare the way of who? The, the, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel. So he's going to come and somebody's going to come before him in kind of as a herald to prepare that way. And then he's, so after this, you're, probably familiar with the story, he's going to introduce you to two to people. John the Baptist, so that would fit the herald, and then Jesus. And Mark is kind of like, he's like a ninja with the way he's using the scriptures, right? He, he makes this extraordinary claim. It's in plain sight, but we might miss it because he says, so here comes one, and then who's the one following him? It's the Lord? It's Yahweh. And who comes after John the Baptist? Jesus, there, there it is in plain sight, the identity of Jesus. He just links it up for you right away. So there's a, it is an extraordinary claim right there. Okay, but also notice then, as we read on, how Mark is describing the gospel. I think this is really important, okay? So what, and, and this is more the question of like, what is, what is, this, what is the gospel? Um, and even if you don't know what the word means, right, you can get an idea, um, from what Jesus says, um, when, when he first uses the word, right? So look at verses 14 and 15, and it's going to, he's going to describe the gospel as something that's coming. It's coming here. Notice, verses 14 and 15, right? Jesus, after John was arrested, he came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the the what? The, the gospel. The gospel. It's a, so. Whatever that we're, we're kind of trying to trying to again get into Mark's head. We're, we're just kind of wiping the slate clean a little bit and just saying, okay, what is he? conceive of what this gospel is? Well, it's something to do with this kingdom that's coming, this reality that's coming here, okay? And it's it's a kingdom arriving, okay? Now, at, at this point, it's going to be helpful for us who live over 2,000 years after these events to get a little refresher on what, what the word actually means, because To anybody hearing Mark or hearing Jesus or hearing John, it was much more clear what was packed into the word gospel, which we, so it's the word evangelion, right? So this, where we get our word evangelism, evangelical, right? And it does simply mean uh, good news or joyful news, but it, but it actually has more tied. There's more tied to this idea than just, that's good news. You know, um, like going to the 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 dentist and him telling you you don't have any cavities or something like that like that 's good news but but this is this is a particular kind of good news, and um, like here 's a fun kind of trivia fact okay, so this word doesn 't originate with jesus uh, we 're not the originators of the word in fact there's there 's actually a Hebrew Um, version of this, and actually Isaiah wrote about it. Do you guys know the famous verse where he talks about the feet of the one who brings good news, right? How beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. What's that image all about? Well, we actually have a story in the Old Testament where we have this actually playing out, right? I think we have several, actually, but one that stands out because there was this young man that just loved to run, right? And he wanted to bring King David news of what happened at the battle, but he ran before he really found out what happened. Do you remember this story? It's really kind of weird. It's an kind of odd, but but this person running from the battle, running after the battle to bring this news of victory, this this herald is, and this idea comes from here. It's the victory. Um, that brings peace. It's the victory over an enemy. This is the kind of this is the kind of idea we're talking about. Um, do you know that there's such a thing? It's it's called the Gospel of uh, Caesar Augustus. Have you heard of this? Okay, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So there's the Gospel of Caesar Augustus. It's also known as the Pax Romana. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit of a nerd. So if you could bear with me for a second. So it's called the Pax Romana. Um, and it's, it's basically, it's the Roman Gospel. And it's when Rome brought relative peace to all of the Mediterranean world. It's the world that Jesus was born into, right? So that open borders and free travel and all these economic benefits. So this was the proclamation that Rome had brought peace, okay? So let's, think about, let's just think about what that means for a second in the context of where Mark is standing, right? So, so the gospel definitely has something to do with, 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 with peace, not just an inner transformation, but we're talking about whole the whole the world changing, right? At least talking about change for a nation or a community, right? where it, it definitely has political ties, it has economic ties. It's about a kingdom. I mean, that's what, is, it's what Jesus says. The kingdom has come. And so the Jews at this point, right, they're, they're home and they're in their homeland, but they're still occupied by Rome, right? So this is, and, and they've, Isaiah and all the prophets have been saying that they're going to be, they're going to be liberated, The Messiah is going to come. And he's going to bring true peace. Okay, So that kind of broadened our idea a little bit. Do do you guys get where we're going with this? The gospel. This is is a big deal. This isn't just like, you know, something that happens to me privately. This is good news for for us as, as a nation. It's good news for the world, right? It's a very... It transforms not just the inside, but it's it it it's it's all about peace on earth, right? It's okay. So, so it's so it's quite it's quite a claim, and So you think about it; it's a rival claim, like going and saying, in a world that follows the good news of Caesar Augustus, saying, "Well, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ." That's, that's pretty radical, right? And when the disciples later in Acts would go and they'd preach and say, Jesus is Lord, that's a rival claim. And all of these cities in the Roman Empire, instead of coming to a city and saying, Caesar is Lord, you're, you're saying Jesus is Lord. You're, <laughs> you're claiming that all of life and all of, all of your life and all of this community of Jesus followers, they're, they're, they live Governed by a totally different reality than the power that be. This it's 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 a big deal. Okay. Um, Another thing I think that we get confused with I think when we use the word gospel is that it somehow is just it's just about either the teaching of Jesus. I think it's more of a modern, at least where we are. I don't know what it's like here, but a lot of times we confuse it with like the teaching of Jesus. Or just the example um, of Jesus, which are both extremely extremely important, but the gospel is good it's good news right it's 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 not about what you should do or how you should live primarily. those things are going to be important, but it's it's about something that's already been done right and here's how one one pastor put it i 'll just read quote, he says, "Um, how, how do you feel when you're given good advice on how to live? Someone says, here's the love you ought to have, or the integrity you ought to have. And maybe they illustrate high moral standards by telling a story of some great hero. But when you hear it, how does it make you feel? Inspired? Sure. But do you feel the way the listeners who heard these heralds felt when the victory was announced? Do you feel your burdens have fallen off? Do you feel as if something great has been done for you and you're not a slave anymore? Of course you don't, speaking of advice. <laughs> of course you don't feel that way. It actually, it weighs you down. This is how I have to live. It's not a gospel gospel. The gospel is that God connects to you not on the basis of what you've done or haven't done, but on the basis of, what, basis of what Jesus has done in history for you. And that makes it absolutely different from every other religion or philosophy. The gospel is not good advice on how you should live. The gospel is what God has done through Jesus, in history, for you. All right. It's news. It's news of this kingdom. Okay, so there's the claim. Okay. Is that, you guys talking with me? We good? Okay, cool. All right. The claim is that the good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, is the Messiah, bringing the long-awaited kingdom of God it's here, that that's the announcement, okay? All right, so then, Mark told you what he thought in verse one, and he's he's never gonna do that again. That's what's cool about, I like Mark. I'm not like Mark. I have to tell you what I think all the time. That's it's kind of, Aaron's more like Mark. He'll just, he can just say something once. I, I just, I always have to speak my mind, I don't know. Anyway, but Mark is like, okay, this is it. Right? Here's the gospel of Jesus. And for the rest, for the, the next section of the book, all, what he's going to do is now present his case. He's going to present the evidence to the claim, right? Uh, how is it, Mark, that you see that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Um, and yeah, so, so so that's that's kind of how we look at have a look at Mark. And what, what he's going to do is, it's very different from Matthew, for example, where Matthew actually does remind you kind of over and over again. If you've, you've read Matthew, where he'll be like, oh, so this happened. Remember the prophet Isaiah said this thing? And he'll keep reminding you. He says, as it was written. As it, so Matthew's more like teaching you and bringing you along, right? And, and with Matthew, his teaching is all in one big, chunk at the beginning of the book, presenting the teaching of Jesus. Mark, he has way less of the teaching of Jesus, and it's all uh, connected to, it's, it's kind of scattered in this in this section up to chapter nine, and it's all attached to things that Jesus does, right? And, and that's where you get, get the teaching. And once again, it's just much less, and in smaller spurts, which is great, kind of for us modern pits you know. Our I don't know about you. My attention span's pretty, pretty limited, so Mark really, I don't know. I feel like he'd do well in our day and age, you know. Um, yeah, he can give really short, brief summaries. Okay. Um, okay. So before we get into like some of the some of the stories, uh, I think there's one one, one little nugget of kind of apologetics here that I just, I think is really important. Okay. So there's this guy named Richard Bauckham and he wrote a book that's really awesome and extremely boring. Um, And that's, that's kind of my kind of book. Like I like, it's weird. I like boring books. Um, But anyway, so it's called Jesus and the eyewitnesses. Even the title sounds more exciting than the book actually is but um anyway he so he writes in this book his his whole research is about how the how the gospels got transmitted how 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 did we get the gospels today and can we trust what we're reading what did the process look like okay and i i I don't know you guys i find that not only super interesting but extremely important right can we trust what these witnesses have written? And is this actually what they said and did? And yeah. Okay. So, um, so he says, uh, and, and, and he has all sorts of boring research to back this up that the key to all of the transmission simply is these chief witnesses. When we're talking about the apostles, we're talking about uh, the people that Jesus did heal, We're talking about his mother, all the people that were very much involved in the story, because um, he shows that it's, it's not even just within the Bible that this, uh, this is the way that significant you know persons got remembered. this is how history was transmitted, where you'd have key eyewitness figures that would um, be the authoritative figure. In passing on the legacy of a teacher or this this prominent figure, and um, he just blows right away out of the water this idea that a lot of people have that you know these stories got told and then retold and retold again, and by the time it got to you know the fifth person who's retelling it, you know, do we really know what actually was said in the beginning? And he says that's not how that's just not how anything worked. Um, And he he shows letters that are, again, from different, uh, uh, not from the Bible, of how how people pass on information, where these key eyewitnesses were held up as an authority and would constantly be referred back to um, and called upon (laughs) to settle disputes and to clarify what actually um, happened. It's very thorough. And this was just the way everybody this is how they operated, um, in 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 the first century, right? And so it's very fascinating. So, but just think about that um, for a second. How it's it's based on the figure, these key figures, who were very much involved in the story, very much affected by um, uh, what Jesus did and said. Okay, because I think we, we we also have this. Kind of weird idea that to really be objective, you should be kind of outside of the story, right, like you should be some sort of bystander, and that gives you a more objective view into it and i i don't really agree with that um, because everybody has a perspective, everybody interprets, and we have actually recent events like the, you know about the Holocaust, for example, right, where we almost entirely rely on hearing from those who Actually survived and lived through these events, and and that's that's really where we get our information, right? Um, it's not not the only way, but it's the primary way. Um, and so to be to to have been influenced, and this is again in the first century, it's it's actually people who weren't a part of a story were not trusted to tell information about something. This finds very almost flipped from what we kind of you know, how we think today, right? Um, so, but, but that's so very important, I think. Uh, have you guys ever thought about, okay, so we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus a few months ago, right? And, and, and have you ever thought like, okay, so something happened 2,000 plus years ago, kind of what, what does that have to do with, with me? What connects me? To an, an event that happened over 2,000 years ago, right? Is that, does anybody think that? No, just me. Okay, that's fine. But I'm, I'll just keep going. So, for me, that, that's a that's a big question, right? How do I connect to what was back then? And the and the answer is, it's the lives that have been transformed by that very news, right? And by the power of the resurrection repeating itself over and over and over and over again in history. Uh, You realize that that it's the church through the Spirit that connects anybody in the world to the reality of who Jesus is. This is how God has decided to operate throughout human history. From page one, right? Uh, He made man in his own image. What does that mean? Man is the representative of God on earth how does how does god want to connect himself with his creation and with everything that goes on it's through those who bear his image it's through humans right that's what it actually means to be human is actually to reflect the reality of who god is that that's the prime that's the primary 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 calling of every human being not me as a missionary but us as and and not even <laughs> Just as humans, that's what we're called to do. Now, of course, it's a long story. It's the fall, and then we have all of the distorted, the distorted image, right? But this is what is being done with the church: is that it's Jesus being the perfect image of God on earth, and then by His Spirit, right, um, infusing His His church with that various things. So to connect the reality of who God is with the rest of the world, that's a, uh, man, isn't that an awesome, it's like you can kind of think of it as this awesome, heavy responsibility, but what an what an honor that that we have. And, and that's kind of what why I wanted to share this today is because I, I don't really like the separation of like, hey, there's, missionaries and like normal people and because I, I feel really normal actually but I keep getting called like I'm um, you know like a missionary is weird or something and some of them are but I, I won't get into that today like my brother is really weird and he's like in you know he freezes half of the year up in northern anyway I won't talk about him but he is weird but not because he's a missionary you know like we're like I've feel like a normal person. But I I feel like that's something that we need to kind of (laughs) rediscover. Is that maybe we shouldn't use the term missionary, I don't know, but like that um, God is connecting his whole his whole mission is to connect the world with the reality of who he is with, with those who are called the followers of Jesus, okay? And that doesn't always mean, but actually, I think it, more often it means living out your, our no, normal lives, right? And, we, but we live that, governed by a totally different reality and kingdom, okay? So you see how this is working now? So there's the claim and there's the evidence. It's, it's living a different reality here on earth, as like we're like we're like outposts for this new kingdom that Jesus started over two thousand years ago okay it's the witness um, of the church um, well, one more thing about that before we <laughs> talk about the stories uh, so when i was when i when I hit thirty um, so uh, i don 't know something. There were a lot of circumstances probably connected to it, but a lot of things kind of started breaking down um, just with my perception of who I was and what I was doing. Part of it had to do with a lot of a lot of difficult things going on in the church, um, death, a death in the church, um, uh, difficult situations in the church that I, I you know, I guess did, I didn't expect. This was kind of when I became a pastor. And... Um, Long story short, it just it it really started to take its toll on me, and it I feel like you know th- things were a lot harder than I thought they were going to be, and uh, just not not what I expected. I had a I had a I had sort of a cookie cutter idea of how how God was going to work, and if I prayed, He was going to answer like this, and you know it's all easy, you know, and um and and I I went through some really dark times of anxiety and um, uh, I, I started having panic attacks and, and accompanied with that was a lot of doubt and I'd, I'd grown up I actually was born into this movement of Calvary Chapel and to me it was like it was all kind of cut and dry and very clear what everything was and I just it was I was scared because I was like for the, I've never doubted like this, and um, and so I, I started getting my hands on anything I possibly could read on um, just all sorts of things to do with trusting the authority of the Bible and um, what is going to happen when I die and and the reality of like God and Jesus and all these things. And I re- read a lot of good stuff and very helpful. But I think what what probably kept me and grounded me more than anything. It was actually the stories of the lives of people, and it was watching lives of people that, around me um, uh, who had been changed by the gospel. It's, it's like the most powerful apologetic we have, and that's, and that's very right, because that's exactly what God intended. Right? You can, uh, I don't know if you've tried this, but if you have ever argued with anybody who has a different world view than you, um, you'll very quickly discover that it's it's really not about getting the right ideas across. Like, I don't know, if you've done this, then you probably know that you can say all these things and you have all your logical ideas and then they'll still just say, yeah, that's whatever. Right, because we don't, That's that's not really what changes us at the core is like oh you know what you're right i think i'm going to go ahead and turn my life around i right? no, there's a lot more connected to our lives than just believing the right ideas right there's something in us what we're what we're looking for <laughs> is something that works is this is this something that i can really um right stake my hope, my my life on is this what's going to be fulfilling does this give me does this gonna give me real hope and, and freedom. And so and so it's a lot deeper than just like getting those ideas across. And I've 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 been experiencing that on myself, right? That no matter how many arguments I present, it's this powerful testimony of lives being transformed by the gospel of Jesus that has been the most powerful evidence to me, not just of his existence, but of being able to actually hope and what it is that he's offering to us. Okay, so the kingdom is here. What does that look like? So Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. And this is, like I said, going to cover the first eight chapters of the book. And what does it look like? Well, it looks a lot like freedom from bondage. That's really, I think, maybe the best summary. It's freedom from bondage. And we're talking physical bondage, we're talking spiritual bondage in casting out demons. Um, we're talking bondage to um, like religious norms, right? Um, that's, that's really all of these things, right? B- b- bondage to the law, right? Jesus going around and talking about the Sabbath and that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Um, there's early on. There's this one story of a man. Who's um, and and I, I, I you know you've, a lot of you have probably seen this episode in the chosen. And I think they did a great job showing it. It's still kind of hard to imagine being there when these guys tear up the roof of a house and they let their friend down right for Jesus to heal him. I mean, it's like I still can't imagine being part of that Bible study. You know, um, it's pretty crazy. So so this story. What's unique about this? Well, so let him down and they they come. Um, wanting Jesus to heal this paralyzed man. And what, what, does Jesus, uh, what does Jesus do? He doesn't start by healing the man. He starts by saying, your sins are forgiven. Okay? Um, what just, what, c- can you imagine? Okay, so who is this Messiah of this new kingdom? Well, he's somebody who, when you come to him, with what you think is your biggest problem, this this Jesus gives you what you actually need. Um, he knows you better than you know yourself, and that can kind of be a scary thought. But I don't I don't know about you. That's, that's one of the most comforting thoughts to me. Um, because, like I said, when I was thirty and feeling like I'm falling apart inside, you know, you how do you how do you heal that? How do you put that back together? And a very, um, very popular thought today is that well, you actually dig deeper into yourself, and you find the solution. You trust yourself, and and I've it's just to me it's like well, but if I'm already broken, how do I fix what's broken with what's broken, right? So so this so so Jesus, right? He comes and he knows what you need when you don't know yourself. He can give you more than you ever even came <laughs> to get from him. Um, it's not I think, we, I think we ask the question a lot, do you know Jesus? It's a good question. Right? But this is someone who knows you. That's, that's what's amazing about the gospel. Ooh, i got to tell one story. Okay, so um my my kids, they still are. They were, a couple years ago, they were huge fans of For King and Country, the band. Do not know if you know who that is? Anyway, so it's two brothers from Australia. And uh, so one of them, Joel, um bone, he wore like these suspenders and had this like scarf thing that he wore. And my son, George, just thought it was the coolest thing, which kind of hurts my feelings, but you know. So he, he, he would do that. He'd like get the suspenders on and he had this little like scarf that he'd wear and he's like, Joel Smallbone. And, and Steph posted a picture of George like that on Instagram. And a friend we have, let's see how this works. She's like a friend of a friend, of the wife of Joel Smallbone. And anyway, this photo got to him, to Joel. And so we wake up one morning and, we, and there's a video from Joel Smallbone, and he's saying, hi Georgie, I saw this lovely picture of you, and this is funny, she's talking to George, and he says something like, yeah, George was making waffles in the pictures or something, and so they're like, have a waffle for us or something. And, I mean, Steph and I like, we're like, Aah! it's like freaked out, it's so cool. But George was this like, and this is the thing George kept saying over and over again, my son. He kept saying, all day, he was like, "I can't believe, I can't believe he knows my name." Okay, and I, you think about that. So, it's a lot of people know who Joel Smallbone is. Like a lot of people know his name, right? But the he knows, he, George, George is like the he knows my, my name. It's one thing to know who the God of the universe is. It's one thing to know Jesus, but the he knows me, and he knows things that I need that I don't know that I need, that that, like, yeah. (laughs) All right. So there it is. Story after story, changed life after changed life. And to Mark, this is the evidence of his claim. This is what the gospel looks like in the world. It's, It's freedom from the powers that be. It's freedom from our own sin. It's, it's, it's freedom physically. It is a very material, it's a, <laughs> it's a very horizontal reality that has to do with us, not just me and my quiet right relationship with God. It's, it's a reality that should hit the world. Okay? All right. So then we have the conclusion. Um, and at the, so at the end of this Galilee section of the book, and so we talk about the claim, talked about the evidence, so here's the conclusion, okay? So, um, so at the end of that section, Jesus has that famous talk with his disciples, right? Where uh, this, I think it's chapter eight. If you, wanna, you can open it if you want. Um, and he says, uh, yeah, so who's, who do people say that I am? I'm kind of retelling it, but you can verify, please do, right. It says, well, some say John the Baptist, some say one of the prophets. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, right? So by the way, those are the same term. That's Hebrew and Greek, Messiah and Christ, the anointed one. It's the same, the same idea, okay? So that's Peter And it's this famous confession of Jesus, or confession of Peter, that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay. So, but the question is at this point, um, it's like, okay, great. So they get it now, right? The disciples get it, who Jesus is. And the answer is actually, well, not, not really. (laughs) They don't really get who he is. Messiah, yes, but wrong Messiah. Because the next thing Jesus does is he begins to talk about the, the plan. Because, yeah, so I'm the Messiah, so here's what we're going to do we're going to go to Jerusalem. And, and they would be like, yeah, got to ride into Jerusalem. And I'm going to die there. It's like, wait, but you're the Messiah? Aren't you here to overthrow the Roman government? Aren't you here to bring that kingdom? Um, But I'm going to be crucified and then risen on on the third day. And this just does not fit any category that they have for what this Messiah is supposed to look like. So after all these demonstrations of power that Jesus shows in Galilee, uh, the healing and the power over storms, right? The power over physical ailments and everything, right? He's going to allow himself... uh, He's going to allow himself to be absorbed by those things. It's just this total paradoxical reversal, right? Where he's going to let himself be overcome by that very evil right, that he's been casting out. Um, and this is, this is in sharp contrast to what the disciples um, are thinking and what keeps coming up among them, which is like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? You know, they've been having these arguments all the time, like. Right? So they're thinking a very different, the, the opposite way and direction of this, um, and you know, and it, it's interesting because th- this we, we think of. Uh, I think uh, the disciples actually get kind of a bad rap, you know. They think, man, how couldn't they get it? It's so dumb, whatever. I think we'd be pretty much the same. I, I, I can imagine we'd think exactly the same way because it's actually it is the most. It is the story of human history that, you know, you have like the oppressor and the oppressed, right? And then you have uh, often some sort of rebellion against that authority. And then that oppressed becomes the oppressor. I mean, this is like the cycle of human history. It's just been happening over and over and over again, right? And, and so what's Jesus going to do? Well, he's, he's here to bring not just a new kingdom, but a very different kind of kingdom. Right? And this is where the teaching comes in. And he says, uh, uh, it's, it's loving our enemies and going the extra mile with them. And we, we win, not by overpowering them with our words or with our military force, or with arguments that just you know leave them speechless or something, no. That's not how we're going to overcome. I'm going to, I'm going to die and I'm going to forgive. And so this is a kingdom, it's, it's not just a different one, it's a totally upside down kingdom. It's, the principles are entirely different. And it actually has the power to change the course of history. This, this is what, because no new revolution changes. The, we, we, sh- we should have learned that by now. <laughs> no new revolution changes the course of history. We just we just keep going in that cycle, um, but jesus says here's here's the good news uh, it's a new kingdom that operates in an entirely different way It's a community of people that live uh, um, because of Jesus um, that live in where where forgiveness is is set as as the high standard and loving those who you don't agree with, who hate you, who spit in your face. Right? And it's, it's where you seek the good of other people above your own. Right? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very different kind of kingdom. So we have the events. We have the triumphal entry where Jesus is riding in as the Messiah. And Luke tells us he rides in, and as he's riding, he's weeping. So it's also this kind of strange picture. Then we know the events very well after that. And he starts to um, do things in Jerusalem, not opposing Rome, but actually confronting the wickedness and the nation that he's come to be the Messiah of. He goes to the temple. He overthrows the tables, right? He, he starts calling them out on everything that they've totally missed about the heart of God towards his people. Okay. We're moving pretty fast. I recognize that you probably need to go home and like read Mark after this, right? So then he then he dies on the cross, and this is the this is that act that he's been talking about, um, um, where he's dying for his enemies. He's absorbing that evil, the one that he had command over. He's absorbing it in himself. Um, and then this, there's this incredibly ironic scene, and it's in Mark that we find. So, so who's the, oh, there's only one person in the book that actually gets it. And super ironic. It's one person. And remember, the Jews are expecting the Messiah to overthrow Rome. Well, who's the one guy who actually gets who Jesus is? It's a Roman centurion standing by the cross. And as he's watching Jesus um, silently take these false accusations, and he's watching him forgive, and he's watching him with this conversation with a thief who doesn't deserve anything, but who Jesus invites into his kingdom. He watches all these things. And, and he says, truly, this, this is the Son of God. All right? It's a Roman centurion, Who gets it so then death is not the end jesus doesn't end his life as just a victim of injustice or as an example of love i said not just it is an example of love and it was unjust but that's not everything see if it if the story ended there then yes the gospel would just be about the teaching and example of jesus but the resurrection is what really turns the entire thing on its head. What does the resurrection actually mean? Um, <laughs> the, the, so the resurrection... Okay, so you think about... any. See about all the g- great things done in human history, right? But in the end... So I'm going to get really morbid for a second. In the end, though, any, everybody no matter what kind of life you have, you have the most fulfilled, great life. And in the end, you die, right? Like that's, that's the trajectory of the human life, okay? Um, a second law of thermodynamics is that we move from order to disorder. We're, we're, we're dying. We, we all know that. Okay, I won't say it again, but yeah, you got it, right? Okay, and what is the resurrection about? The resurrection is not just that you know, well, there's something after death or your soul will somehow survive that. That's, that's, kind of, that's a Buddhist idea, if you didn't know, that the soul kind of lives on in this disembodied state or whatever. The resurrection, it's not just some abstract um, display of Jesus' like final act of great power. Like, you know, it's, it's actually saying something about what the kingdom is. And that this is the kingdom that that doesn't end with that trajectory of of death. But where death turns to life, Jesus reverses the entire trajectory of human history and the possibility for humans, for death to not be the governing factor of your life. You realize that it kind of is, right? Death just governs like pretty much everything you do. It has the last word. And Jesus says, no, it's a, like in my kingdom, not just for the Messiah himself, because like all great rulers of great kingdoms, they all died. And then usually chaos ensued, right? And there's like these, everybody fighting for power or whatever. But that's not, that's not the Messiah of this kingdom. He, he lives forever. And, he, and the claim is that those who follow him that those who are his will have this, his resurrection means our resurrection from death, death to life. And so you realize based on that, okay, um, that there's, two, there's really two ways to live your life. <laughs> okay, and one way is to be governed by death um, or you can be governed by this idea of the resurrection. Um, which is that that Jesus' uh, promise to us that would follow him and believe in him, that we're actually <laughs> more alive with every day, and that there will come a day when that life will just be unleashed to, to, to eternal life and flourishing. It's, it's the story of the Bible, from creation to beginning, to new creation. It's new creation. It's renewal, regeneration, resurrection. Uh, That's that's the trajectory that the Bible draws of human life, fate, and existence. What does it mean to be governed by death? (laughs) Well, it means that actually, so I have to live my, that would mean that I have to live my best life now. And it's, it's I, have to, I have to get what I want in this moment. I have to live, my, I have to get everything out of it today. Um, you know, and that has to do with, um, it's very practical. So that's to, with my, that's to do with my job. It's like I have to, <laughs> you know, I have to get married now. I have to um, experience all of these things now I have to um, make my mark on the world now. Um, I have to travel. I have to, I don't know, what, you fill in the blanks. There's a lot of things that if, if you feel like <laughs> death is the governing factor, that's, that's the mindset that you, have to, that you have to have. And it's really, uh, practically, it's not, we think maybe that's like an atheist kind of worldview practically speaking, most people live that way. That's kind of how we're sort of wired, I think, is that living in that constant fear, the shadow of of death. Um, And the tragedy of this mindset is that uh, it actually keeps you from living a full life. Um, it It keeps us from being truly generous, like my generosity is limited because i have to get i have to get mine first <laughs> and i can be generous to the extent when to where it's like well it's on my way and you know i can give just enough so so that i still have uh, i still have mine <laughs> right and 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 we we can't truly give of ourselves to even people we love it's 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 very limiting to understand that like, I have to live a fulfilled life, my, my own fulfilled life. Um, I need to experience as many things as I can. Like I said, um, it keeps us from truly loving and truly committing ourselves to other people because we really end up using other people, even, even in love, we end up using people so that we feel something, right? So we feel loved. And so to really give ourselves up um, is like, it's really impossible, what makes it possible? Look at Jesus living his life governed by the resurrection, giving up his life. Everybody around him saying, no, because what? Because, because you have all this potential. You have so much that you could do, so much that you have to offer. Don't go and just throw it away, right? Don't give it away but Jesus was fully able to do that. Why? Because of the resurrection, because that wasn't the final word. He has victory over that, right? Over death. Um, Yeah, and so to be governed by the resurrection means I can live generously, right? I can truly love my neighbor, truly love my neighbor. I can commit myself to other people and to their happiness, my thinking now is not, I'm going to die, right? That my thinking now is, I have died. And, and through Jesus, I will live. Folks, this is, this, this is, this is the Christian life. Uh, back in chapter eight or nine, right, where Jesus had that conversation, and Peter gave his answer, and um, Jesus called Peter Satan and all that, right? Right. Um, Jesus would go on to say, if anybody would follow after me, let him take up his cross, right? And, and follow me. You'd, you'd die. <laughs> and so, so as a follower of Jesus, you die first. Like, you, if you follow Jesus, like, you're dead. Okay? You, you, guys, you guys died. All right? We got that horrible thing out of the way. And now, what we believe by faith is that with every day, you're more and more alive. You're not running out of time. It's, it's kind of the opposite. Hughes in Christ is a new creation. You know that verse? We're, new. We're part of that new creation. The fate of Jesus is the fate of all those who would follow him. And just, just think of all the practical ways in which this changes the way you live your day-to-day life. It's not just that, you know, Gosh, I gotta do something for the Lord. It's that you're free. You're, you're free to live a fulfilled life where you don't have to be at the center of it anymore. You don't have to think all the time about how you're gonna get yours. You don't have to do that anymore. You're free. That's what our life is, it's what, what, what our life is. I don't I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I'm exhausted. It's exhausting to, to, to continue to try to think how I'm going to get, how I'm going to fill my life. I, I don't know if you've, if you've come to that yet or not, but it's exhausting. Trying, trying, to, trying to get everything that I need out of every situation and prove myself. <laughs> and you know, everybody says with like, so I have a lot of kids and I love the heck out of my wife and kids. But everybody says, the, more, the older I get, everybody keeps saying, you know, Like, enjoy it while it lasts, you know? And those kind of things where it's like, you know, make sure you enjoy the moment. I don't don't know what other parents experience, but there's almost like an impossible task in that where I don't ever feel like I really enjoy it enough. Like, I I always feel like, man, it's still happening too fast, right? And so I don't, and, and I feel like actually the solution is to understand that my fate, is not that, man, I have these fleeting years. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the good news. And that doesn't just affect what you tell other people. That doesn't, that doesn't just make, you know, people missionaries like, like me, right? That, that means that every single person who follows Jesus, right, it means you're free. You're free to live in a way that is going to show this, this kingdom to the world. You, you, you're enabled to live generously. I don't have to tell you to do that. You're free to. You're free from yourself. And you're free from the powers that have been holding you back. You're, you're, you're free from all of that. To live that life that, that God always wanted us to live, reflecting the reality of who He is, um in the world. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know who that was? Yeah, yeah. So he said it like this. He says, thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to the otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us, the cross. The cross meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, this is what he this is his famous lines right It says "When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die." <laughs> and that sounds really morbid, but what it's saying is that dying in, in Christ means he brings you back to life I don't, I don't try to get life out of my own I, I give it to him and I let him give me life because I was never meant. To give myself life, I can't do that. It's death <laughs> right um, yeah so that's that's the encouragement for us this morning it's It's that you know we come as missionaries, but this is actually what it means to be a follower a normal follower of jesus it's it's all it's It's anybody who would call themselves that. It is a glorious good news of freedom right um, of restoring its renewal right um, yeah, and a hope a true hope um, well, last last thought on that is that I think the 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 reason that a lot of people have trouble believing the resurrection is actually because it's like it's, it's too good to be true. <laughs> I think we're actually used to coping and that's kind of why we live the lives the way we do. Is that It's, a, it's more like we need to cope with reality and we just find a, a, a little space on planet earth and time where we can just kind of like deal with it. Okay. And Jesus, that isn't what being a follower of Jesus is. You're not coping, you're hoping. It's, it's a very different way to live, that he's going to make all things new, and he's going to wipe away every tear. And I'm, I'm his follower. I am revealing that reality to anybody I come in contact with at the store that I work at, with my kids, with my family, as I drive. That's a challenge for me to... Reveal the truth of Jesus when I'm driving. I'm a little bit like my dad, and Scott'll tell you stories about how my dad drove. But we reveal the reality of the resurrection everywhere we are. You're all mission. We're all missionaries that way. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Amen. Can I pray real quick, you guys? Yeah. Jesus, I just pray that you would work this reality into our lives. We don't, we don't want this to be just a Sunday event where we kind of talk about these things and then we go live some other life. This is where we want to remember the reality of who we are and what story it is that we're a part of. And would you transform our hearts? And we, we know that your, your spirit is at work in those who believe in you and your spirit is speaking resurrection to us. It's it's telling us that that, as Paul said, that that power of the resurrection, it's inside of us. Would you teach us, Lord, to live in light of this reality that I have died (laughs) and through Jesus Christ, I live and I will live. Teach us, Lord, to walk in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.